Lights Announcers begins right now. Western civilization has moved from a theistic culture where the majority believed in a god and respected the Bible to a post-Christian culture that now opposes the Christian worldview and biblical values. The traditional methods of evangelism are not as effective as they once were a generation ago. How can we effectively share our faith in a culture that is often hostile to the message of Christ? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In our broadcast today, Pat interviews his guest, President of Stand to Reason, Greg Kokel, as they discuss insights and methods to effectively engaging our culture for Christ. Let's begin part one of this three-part interview. Here's our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, we know that evangelism, the message does not change, but the method needs to be flexible to the times that we face. And in our post-Christian culture today, the old methods we used to use uh, really aren't as effective. We need to develop new methods of evangelism. And in a post-Christian culture, often you have to go one step back. And Greg Kokel is a Christian apologist and has been providing and equipping Christians to be effective in evangelism, and especially now in our post-Christian culture. And he has produced a new book here that you're going to want to get. I've got all of Greg's books here uh, on the shelf behind me. So here's one you're going to want to get, Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenge. Greg Kokel is the founder and president of Stand to Reason. He has spoken on more than 70 college and university campuses, both in the U.S. and abroad. He has been in several debates with some of the most popular atheists on college campuses and on TV. So his methods are indeed what we call battle-tested here. He is an award-winning writer, best-selling author. Uh, he's written several books that are on my shelf here, The Story of Reality, Tactics, and Relativism, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. He has received his master's from Biola University, Talbot School of Theology, Simon Greenleaf University, and he's an adjunct professor of Christian apologetics there at Biola University. Man, Greg, you need something to do. <laughs> Pat, I'm getting worn out just, just hearing all that stuff. Nice <laughs> to chat with you again. Okay, well, we're featuring Greg's book here, Street Smarts here, outstanding book. And Greg, first of all, you know, how has evangelism changed? How is it different in our post-Christian culture today? The message does not change, but its method needs to adapt to the times that we are in. How's uh, it different in this post-Christian culture? Uh, I I agree entirely in that comment with uh, one disagreement. It's no longer a post-Christian culture. It's an anti-Christian culture. We've yeah. gone a stage even beyond it, which makes it more important that we're able to navigate in careful ways with people to make a difference for the cause of Christ. And uh, that means navigate so it's easier for us and hopefully get more Christians out engaging rather than fewer. And of course, fewer are going out because things are getting hotter there on the street, as it were. And to do it in a way that's God-honoring, that's gracious and relaxed, but also that's effective. 
I was just interviewed by the just before our conversation here with the, by the Washington Times, and the interviewer was making the comment about how much the culture has changed. Now he said in the last. 15 20 25 years and i thought man he's washington times he ought to he knows that that's a way an understatement right it's radically changed just in five years from what it was uh, i mean it's been eight eight years since obergefell legalizing same-sex marriage in 2015 and the supreme court then and right away we launched right into all of this transgender stuff which i never expected to face and this is much bigger in terms of its impact on culture and pulling people away from a christian sympathy towards the christian worldview let's put it that way and then much more than the lgbt thing and the new atheists you know around and now they're starting to fade but never mind the culture is still heating up Mm -hmm. in lots of different ways against christianity so i became a christian in uh, 1973 my spiritual birthday pat is just coming up in a few weeks september Mm -hmm. but uh, that was during the jesus movement here in southern california and actually, my first two summers as a Christian, I spent there on Waikiki Beach with summer outreach projects in <laughs> 74 and 75, right? Hmm, so right. I was suffering for the Lord there in Waikiki, which, by the way, that town was much smaller than it is now. You know, now it's like uh, Tokyo or, or whatever. But hmm. nevertheless, we were um, there engaging people for Christ. And it was rather simple. Here we were talking about Jesus in language that most people understood. And we were using little booklets and stuff that were helpful in guiding us through this simple gospel. And uh, many people would trust Christ. And that was all part of the Jesus movement that was going on there and in Southern California and other parts of the country. And the Holy Spirit was working. Well, that was half a century ago. (laughs) That was a different millennium, my goodness. And uh, times have changed radically. Let's see, you have to be 25 years old to have any conscious recollection of 9-11, mm-hmm. which is coming up on our 21st year, I think, yeah. you know, we're at it. But that, just to give you one example, there's this very dramatic thing that happened. So many people are moved way past that. They don't get that. They don't see those kind of impact that had on our life. They are now in the LGBT and the new atheists and transgender. And uh, God is not good if he doesn't let me do whatever I want, especially sexually. And so there's a whole host of new things that have come up. Simply put, the gospel is not simple anymore. Now, you are right when you mentioned in your introduction, we don't change the gospel, but we have to adjust and adapt to the culture so that they understand it. And that means new language. You, you and I were in the Philippines a couple of years ago and together, and we, um, although Philippines is a lot like America, nevertheless, whenever you go to a different culture, you kind of have to try to adapt and speak the language of the culture, the cultural language of that culture, in order for what you say to be understood properly. Somewhere in Matthew, where Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, he says there, talks about the first ground, and he's giving an explanation of the seed that falls on the hard ground. And and we're thinking, what explanation is needed here? That's like the gospel falling on mm-hmm. boneheads, right? They don't listen. They're just not interested, right? But Jesus gives a little bit different characterization. He said, the seed that is sown on the road, those who hear it do not understand it. Those who hear it do not understand it. And so the devil snatches the word away. Now that phrase, they do not understand it, that never stood out for me before when I read that. 
I was just thinking of boneheads, right? Mm -hmm. But here they don't, the devil seizes what has been sown in their hearts. So it isn't just that they, that they're hard, but it actually goes into their hearts, but they don't understand it. So therefore this, that they're victimized by the devil. And then the fourth ground that bears fruit, he says, they hear the word and they understand it. And this goes right to the point we're talking about how much of our conversation with non-Christians turns out to be a conversation when we are contributing things that people just don't understand. Mm -hmm. It just makes no sense to them. I remember uh, telling a guy once that Jesus died for his sins. So that's a true statement. It's the kind of thing that we find in the Bible. But he said to me, when I said Jesus died for your sins, he said, I'm sorry to hear that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, did he get better? You know, that kind of thing. He just had no understanding what that meant. And so there was a gal I interviewed a number of years ago, now a Christian apologist, became a Christian as a, uh, she had a PhD in literature from Amherst, and she did not know there were four Gospels. How could mm -hmm. you have a PhD in literature and not know that? How could you have anything and not know there are four Gospels? Anyway, so you have a very uneducated public with regards to Christian things. Some of them have never been exposed to anything about Christianity given their circles. And so when you start talking about, you know, Jesus dying for your sins and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is nonsense to them. It's mm -hmm. religious noise. That's all it is. And it's annoying a lot of times. Or for some people, it's hate speech. So th this is one of the, the obstacle. These are the obstacles we have to overcome. Nowadays, the gospel is not simple anymore. They don't understand the concepts. The objections are legion now, much more than they ever have been. And people are angry at Christians who think they got it right and everybody else has got to believe like they do. Because in this culture, the operative phrase is, you do you. And when we start talking to folks, we're telling them that isn't going to work. That isn't the way the world works. You don't do you. You do God, you know, and do things God's way or there will be hell to pay. I mean, quite literally. Now, of course, we, we are careful about how we communicate that, but that's really the bottom line. And no, they don't want to hear that. Even so, there's this, as Pascal put it, God-shaped vacuum in their heart that they're trying to fill. So there is this hunger and they're trying to do all kinds of stupid things to satisfy that hunger that can't be satisfied by those silly th things that they're doing that only God can satisfy. So we have this odd circumstance where you have human beings made in the image of God that are deeply hungering for God on the one hand, but are deeply rebellious in ways that we had not really considered 10, 15 years ago. That's challenging for Christian. It's dangerous in the street for them. Yeah. And yeah. uh, that's why I call a street smarts. A street is wherever you feel uncomfortable, out of your depth, you know, and this could be with uh, friends at work. It could be college students, professors. It could be with uh, your own family members where you get along fine with them unless you touch on certain topics and then you're under a microscope, you know, and then people are banging back at you because they don't like what you hear. And so consequently, uh, and you know, know this, Pat, a, a lot of people just aren't going to get into play at all. They're just going to sit on the bench. And this is what I'm trying to help, a uh, trend I'm trying to help reverse with the previous book, Tactics, and the new book, which is a sequel to it, that I call Street Smarts. Uh, you tapped on it a little bit, but what has contributed to the hostility? You know, for the first time in the last five years, I will preach and this is the first time, you know, I started seeing this five years ago. Uh, I remember I talked, it was, I think, June, and it was Gay Pride Month. Uh -huh. I just mentioned something in passing uh, about it being Gay Pride Month and how we are here to stand for the truth. And this family got up 
walked to the middle aisle, front row, middle aisle, uh-huh. looked at me, and then turned and walked down the middle aisle very slowly to let everyone know they're angry and offended by what has happened. Yeah, yeah. That happened first time five years ago. Well, it's happened several times since. Right, right. When I, when I will mention uh, something that people don't like, or often I hear, that offended me. That yeah. offended me. And the church goes, no, don't preach that anymore, Pat. Don't right. Do, you know, oh, like, yeah. Where I had did a, it come from? I had the same thing happen to me in Canada once, and uh, I noticed people leaving after a comment that I'd made. And you know me, I'm not I'm not um, like unpleasant or rasty or snarky or anything like that when I but, you know, I try to shoot from the hip on things that need to be said plainly. And I made a comment about something along that line. And I think it was about Islam, actually. And people started getting up to leave, you know. At first, I thought they were just going to the bathroom, you know. In your case, they made a big statement, right, by the way they exited. But then I realized they're getting up because of what I just said. And so I paused, and I just drew attention to it. And I said, it looks like some of you are, are getting up because you're you're bothered. Gee, okay. Well, nothing that I said was inaccurate. This, By the way, this is a church, just like you. It was a church. And so I said, if anybody else is really troubled by what I said and you want to leave, I'll just pause for a moment and let the rest of you go. And then I'll get on with my talk, Mm -hmm. you know, because uh, just like you, I wasn't going to be bullied by these people. But this is the first time really in the last few years that this kind of stuff has started to happen, even in churches, because they're deeply influenced by a secular mindset. And they have been taken captive by philosophies and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world instead of according to Christ. And of course, you recognize that verse in Colossians 2, verse 9, and Paul is warning Christians not to be taken captive by that, yet so many are. And this is part of what we're up against. And I, I, you know, I salute you, Pat, for just holding your ground and continuing to speak the truth in love. And if people don't like it, all right, then they can leave. That's fine. That's their decision. But we're not going to be intimidated by their so-called effrontery or say, I'm offended. Really? Uh Really? You're offended because I gave a view that you, that you didn't agree with? Oh, you know, okay. Now, here's what I'm thinking. Why don't you grow up? You know, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I, I told a girl once, she said, you can't say that. How would you like it if somebody told you you were wrong? And I said, it wouldn't bother me a bit. I'm a grown-up. You know, but she was a teenager when she said that. So again, I'm not trying to be a, a smarty pants, but I am trying to make the point that people are given to doing immature things and they've learned that this is an appropriate way to complain. Oh, I'm offended. Well, what if you offended me in something you said, would it be appropriate for me to say I'm offended at that? And you'll you'll say, oh, okay, I won't say anything more. Mm-hmm. No, of course, you're going to say your belief. Mm-hmm. This is silly. You know, it, it's just plain old silly. Why would that offend you that somebody disagrees with you? We're just raising a, a, yes. a nation of children, unfortunately. Yes, Pat. But that's kind of what we're up against. Yeah. Well, you know, Greg, you stated in your book that you have not prayed with anyone to receive Christ in the last 30 years. Greg, <laughs> you're an evangelist. <laughs> so what do you mean by that? But you also, well, you are more effective than you've been ever. That's right. It's a showstopper, you know, mic drop moment, you know, and I I just said it at Rocky Peak two nights ago here in Los Angeles area. I taught there to a large audience and, and, you know, you get dead silence, you know, and then I say, I know what you're thinking. What a loser, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) But, you know, if there are a lot of people in the audience that haven't 
led anybody to Christ in a long, long time too. And they do feel like a loser. And I'm trying to show them that they're looking at the whole enterprise of evangelism the wrong way. Okay. And you, you, you mentioned, uh, as I do when I say that, that I have been more effective for the gospel's sake than I ever have been before in the last 30 years, even though I haven't prayed with someone to receive Christ. And the reason is because of a simple truth that really began to sink into me. And that simple truth is, before you can have a harvest, you always have to have a season of gardening. Before you can have a harvest, you always have to have a season of, season of gardening. Okay, gardening, 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 harvest. Okay, gardening, gardening, garden, harvest. Gardening takes time. The harvest is quick. In fact, the harvest is easy when the fruit is ripe. Okay, when I became a Christian on September 28, 1973, my brother came to visit me. He'd been gardening most of my life, Brother Mark, and began to talk to me about Jesus again. And I told him, Mark, you don't have to tell me any more about Jesus. I want to become a Christian. And then I prayed a prayer. What happened? My fruit was ripe and I harvested myself. He didn't invite me or challenge me or whatever. I just said, I'm ready, ready to go. And that night, two nights ago over at Rocky Peak here in Southern California, I asked this audience about 800 people. I said, how many people here are Christians who did not have somebody lead them in a sinner's prayer or walk forward at an altar call or something like that to become a Christian? You may not even remember what your spiritual birthday was. And one third of the audience raised their hand. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, just to underscore this point, I'm not against altar calls and I'm not against, you know, praying the sinner's prayer at the end or inviting people to receive Christ, but it's not necessary. And to some people, this sounds like bite your tongue, right? It's mm -hmm. not necessary. Altar calls and inviting people to receive Christ, this is a new phenomenon in the church. Altar calls started mid-19th century. Okay, Second Great Awakening. But before that, and in the book of Acts, you don't see anything like that. There are no altar calls in the book of Acts. There are no altar calls or anything like it in the Gospels. Nobody's invited to pray to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. The gospel is preached and communicated in clear terms. It's defended and people believe. They just believe. In fact, I was talking to somebody last night and they were telling me, I don't even remember when I, when I <laughs> believed. I just know that some point in the process, she said, if somebody were to ask me, are you a Christian? She had been an atheist. Are you a Christian? She would have. She said, I would have had to say, yes, I am a Christian. So God's the one responsible for the harvesting. We're responsible for the gardening. And we haven't been given gardening tools. And by the way, just to add a little more backdrop to this remarkable statement in many people's minds that I have not prayed with anyone to receive Christ in the last 30 years. You know who Jay Warner Wallace is, of course, yes. and so, so do many of your listeners. Okay, what they, the, the storied cold case detective in Torrance PD here in LA County never lost a case that went to trial, taking these, these murders that were you know, like, 10, 15, 20 years cold, they couldn't find the bad guy and resurrecting them, so to speak, and then solving the crime and putting the bad guy behind bars. He was really good at it. Now, Jim, Jim Wallace was an atheist, though, and he decided to apply his detective skills to the Gospels to see if they were good eyewitness reports, whether you could rely on them. And he found that they were. And that study uh, convinced him that Jesus rose from the dead Christianity was true. He became a Christian from being an atheist, and then he became a Christian apologist, and then a best-selling Christian writer. His first book was Cold Case Christianity. Okay, here's what you may not even know about J. Warner Wallace. Oh, you read the book, so you already know this. Hmm. <laughs> Jim was in my garden when he was still an atheist. 
he was listening to our show at Stand of Reason when he was an atheist, and it had had a significant impact of moving him forward. Now, I didn't pray with him to receive Christ. Well, I don't even know how he became a Christian, frankly. But what mattered is that I played a role in that, and then God was the one who was responsible for the harvesting. And somebody went into my garden, right, and harvested my crop. I don't care. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. We're all on the same team. Part of my conviction uh, over the years, Pat, has been that I'm actually a gardener. Mm-hmm. When I go go speaking in, in, in universities, and actually, the num- your number's an old one. When I'm I'm speaking in a, in a few weeks at the University of Kentucky, and that'll be number 90 for me. Wow. But, you know, as I'm doing all of this stuff and even writing books uh, like Story of Reality, et cetera, it's, a, it's not an evangelism book like Tactics or mm-hmm. Street Smarts. But what am I doing? My own podcast, I'm gardening. I'm gardening, 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 gardening. And then I find out later that people who've been listening to the show or reading the books or articles that I've written or whatever, they later become Christians through someone else or other set of circumstances. But the role that I played in their life, they tell me was important. Now, I'm not trying to wave my own flag. I'm just helping people to see how this works. And if we give ourselves to gardening and not worrying about the end result in any individual's life, we got to get them to pray the prayer. Okay. We just don't worry about that. We just try to put a, put a stone in their shoe a little bit, you know, try to get them thinking. That's all, all I'm worried about. And the collective effort of Christians putting Stones in other people's shoes move people forward until the fruit is ripe through the gardening, and eventually God sees to its harvest. We don't have to worry about that. That's what I'm doing in in Street Smarts, but I'm doing it in a very particular way. Yeah, you know, building on your approach there, I tell people, you know, evangelism is getting people one step closer to receiving the gospel of Christ. So it's not all, like you said in your book, it's not like always hitting the home run. Right. Sometimes you want to hit the single. Right. Get the person who's an atheist to believe, okay, it's reasonable that a God exists. Mm -hmm. Get someone who thinks all Christians are jerks and hypocrites because they had an abusive father. And get them to the point where, you know, they meet you and they say, well, well, not all Christians are like my dad. There's some integrity here. Right. You move them one step closer. And like you said, that's a lot more, what do you say, lower the bar? That's right. Kind of expectation doesn't put so much pressure on me. That's why Mm -hmm. I like the approach of tactics, you know, and street Mm -hmm. smarts here. It's a lot less intimidating for the believer. Also with the tools that I explain in both books, again, the second book, uh, Street Smarts, is a sequel to the first book. So you get the first book down. Okay, you're ready to go to the second book. A lot of people have read tactics. You told me that right down the street, I think your church is is uh, actually doing a course in tactics. But Street Smarts is a standalone book, too. If you just get Street Smart, you're going to get ramped up to speed on the game plan and the basic backdrop, the principle here of, of gardening. And uh, before we get into the substance of the book itself, which is dealing with a number of different topics that are challenges to Christian, whether it's atheism or the problem of evil or Bible and science or Bible problems that people have. They read the Bible and say, hey, what about this or that? This looks ridiculous. And so they don't want to take Christianity seriously. There's two chapters on the abortion issue. There's uh, two chapters on Jesus. 
Jesus being the only way of salvation, Jesus being the Lord God come to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. This is hard for many people to countenance, especially if they're in kind of Unitarian type religions like Jehovah's Witnesses or Islam, Muslims. I have all these chapters that are meant to explain the problems with these views. And then I supplement that with questions that lead into dialogues that you are in control of. You're asking the questions that lead you down a path to help the person see the problems with their view. And that's why the subtitle of the book is Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucker.